Good morning again, everyone. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 34. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and these guys will get a Bible right to your seat, right where you're at, so you can follow along with us. You might even get one from a birthday boy over there. I mean, there you go. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 34 this morning. The title of my message is Hope for the Believer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word, knowing, Lord, that you have drawn us together to this place for a reason and for a purpose. And it's through your Holy Spirit that you're going to teach us this morning what you would have each one of us to hear personally, Lord, but also as a church corporately. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. We pray your blessing upon our time together. We ask your blessing upon our children as they are being ministered to downstairs through the children's ministry, Lord, the teachers that are speaking to their hearts through your word. Bless them, Lord. Give all of us just open ears to receive all that you have for us. And Father, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again, Lord, we pray that they would see their need for you, turn from their sin, and turn to you this morning. Come to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you for our time together. We commit it to you. It's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's been a while since I've shared this, so some of you may not have heard this before. It's the story of Chirpy the parakeet. Poor Chirpy never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, singing a song. The next second he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. You see, his problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She had stuck the vacuum in to suck up the seeds and the feathers at the bottom of the cage when the telephone rang. Well, instinctively, she turned to pick it up, barely had the, the opportunity to say hello, and I mean, Chirpy got sucked in. Shocked, she drops the phone, switched off the vacuum, unzips the bag. There was Chirpy, alive but stunned, covered with heavy gray dust. She grabbed him, rushes him to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held little Chirpy under the torrent of ice-cold water, power washing him clean. (laughs) Then it dawned on her that Chirpy was soaking wet and shivering. So she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hair dryer and blasted him with hot air. Did Chirpy survive, the woman was asked. This was her response. Yes, But he doesn't chirp much anymore. He just sits around and stares a lot. (laughs) Moral of the story is, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in the same predicament as Chirpy being sucked in, washed up, blown over, and wiped out. Not by a vacuum cleaner, but by the spiritual battles that are taking place in our lives today. It can take the chirp right out of our hearts and leave us stunned and wiped out spiritually. That's why we're told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We must not forget that we have hope in Jesus Christ, who is returning for us very soon, and this spiritual battle we all face today as believers, it'll soon be over. 
That's a hope for every one of us today, this morning. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see an announcement, an ambition, and an answer. First, let's look at this announcement. Look at verses 17 through 19 of uh, Matthew chapter 20. Verse 17, we read, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify. And the third day, he will rise again. Now, since chapter 16, we've seen Jesus underscoring and repeating that he was going to die. Yet I want to point out the fact that Jesus never spoke of the cross without speaking of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we would have no hope. I say this because oftentimes I hear believers talking about the cross, saying, well, I'm going through this trial, or I'm struggling with this, and this is my cross to bear. But I don't ever hear them talking about the resurrection. If you're going to talk about the cross, follow it by talking about the resurrection as well. Listen, folks, if you think it's tough following Jesus, try not following him. That's what's tough. I mean, try going through diseases and and death and divorce and bankruptcy or unemployment without him. I love Tim Hawkins. He's a comedian. If you haven't heard him, you you can check his videos online. But he does a video about uh, atheists and and sending sending your kids to an atheist summer camp. How how awful is it? He plays the guitar and he sings. He sings this song: "No one loves the little children. All the little children of the world." No one hears your lullaby. No one hears you when you cry. No one loves the little children of the world. I mean, what hope would you have in an an atheist summer camp? I read a a, a thing also that last year the Navy rejected an atheist application of being a chaplain in the Navy. How on earth can you bring comfort to a soldier if you're an atheist? Sorry, buddy. I mean, your buddy died and, and you know, things are just going to get worse and then you're going to die. I hope that cheers you up. But you see, here's the thing. You may be struggling this morning and suffering, but if you are not a Christian, you're still going to be struggling and you're still going to be suffering. You're still going to go through difficult times. The difference is you would go through them with no solution, you know, no promise, no hope. You go through it alone. It would be horrible. That's why every time we talk about the cross... Jesus never failed to speak of the resurrection. And here Jesus wants his disciples to know that before he can reign as king, he's going to suffer, he's going to die as a lamb of God upon the cross. In fact, Jesus lays out three specific things that's going to happen to him in verse 19. He says he's going to be mocked, he's going to be scourged, and he's going to be crucified. You know the same thing Jesus uh, or God really re- re- request of us. He tells us that never at any point would we expect the world to applaud our faith. We are going to be mocked. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, if, if you're a Christian, but America has become increasingly hostile to Christianity. The media mocks it. Vocal scientists disdain it. Universities debunk it. And businesses ignore it. There's such a great divide in America over faith like nothing we've ever seen before. And campuses throughout our country, outspoken Christians are regularly demeaned, debased. They're targeted for their beliefs. Academics, social groups, college organizations regularly ridicule Christians by calling them hateful and, and bigoted and racist and privileged, among other labels. 
classic example of this, maybe you read about it. Uh, you heard the women's soccer uh, team winning the World Cup. Well, according to a Washington Times article, Jaylene Hinkle, she's a 26-year-old soccer star from uh, the North Carolina Courage professional team. She'd been called the top uh, left defender in the U.S. game. She wasn't selected for the national team. However, in 2017, Hinkle turned down a call uh, up from the national team after learning that all the players would be wearing a rainbow-themed jersey in honor of the Gay Pride Month. So she said that later that the uniform conflicted with her Christian faith. She did this interview in May of 2018 on the 700 Club. She said, I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to just seek and pray and determine what God was asking me to do in this situation. Hinkle had not played on the national team since. In that same 700 Club segment, Jaylene acknowledged that she knew the risk when she declined to wear the jersey, saying, I'm essentially giving up the one dream little girls dream about their entire life. You know, if I had anything to say to Jaylene, if I could talk to her, I would tell her to remember the words that Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 29 and 30. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I mean, it's incidents like these that demonstrate how Christians are being targeted in the United States for adhering to our values. And when that happens, we realize that the threat of religious persecution isn't in some far away country, but it's right in our own backyard. People are putting down and mocking Christians like never before. Now understand this word that Jesus uses for mocking, verse 19, uh, when he says uh, they would be mocked, scourged, and crucified. To be mocked simply means to be made fun of. So we should not be surprised when people make fun of our Christianity. But it's interesting to me that, these, that we need to see in these three steps that, that, it's, that it gives us hope that leads to life. When I'm mocked, when I'm jeered, when I'm criticized for my faith, I know that I'm on the right path. I know I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord one day and this will soon be over. In fact, Jesus took the time to say, be careful of the day when all men speak well of you. You know, if, 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 if there are people that are talking about, oh, man, this is a great guy, man, I like hanging out with you, and this is great, and this is wonderful, and they're not a believer. Maybe you're not being as salty as, as, as God would have you to be, as, as light as God would have you to be. Maybe you're not really affecting the lives around you of people that you should. Jesus said to the disciples that the Son of Man must be mocked. We're going to be mocked. You know, it's not going to be cool to be a Christian. It's something that we've just got to expect in the days in which we're living. And as we're beginning to, to swim upstream and the rest of the world is going in the opposite directions, there's going to be times that it's going to be tough, but that's the way of life. It's a way to life. Jesus then said the Son of Man is going to be scourged. And, and in the same way, I realize that in my Christian life, there's scars that I will have to bear. Now, when it comes to the scourging uh, and Jesus' scars, we're told in the book of Revelation that we'll probably still see them when we see him in heaven. The Bible says he will appear to us as a lamb that was slain. So there'll be still scar marks on our Savior. Maybe some of you are carrying scar marks right now because you decided to stand for Jesus Christ. Maybe someone you love, maybe a family member is taking the time to, to boldface tell you, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I'm tired of hearing all this religious stuff about God. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be one of those born again Christians. And it hurts on the inside. 
And you say, well, but you got to hear what I have to say because I, uh, Jesus is the way to life. He can change your life. He can bless you. And they continue to pull away and it hurts on the inside. In the same way, Jesus Christ and the stripes that he bore for our sake cost him something. And that scar that I'm asked to carry is going to cost me something. And finally, the crucifixion. Jesus said the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And I realize that I also have to die to myself to find life. It's a complete submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that self has no more right or authority. It's taking my heart off the throne of my life and, and, and letting Christ take His rightful place as King in my life. Simply saying, God, you be King of my life. It's being Christ-centered, not self-centered. It's saying, God, I surrender completely to you. Now this brings us to our second point, an ambition. Now there's nothing wrong with having an ambition as long as it's a Christ-centered uh, ambition, not self-centered. And, and here's the problem here. Look at verse 20 and 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now the other gospels don't mention that mom came to Jesus first, only that the boys, James and John, the sons of thunder, came to Jesus. But it does make sense why mom would want to come to Jesus. You know, maybe, you know, she didn't hear Jesus' words when Jesus says, many who are first will be last. Maybe she did. And maybe she's thinking, well, okay, last first. I, I, just, I just want my boys right there on one side and him on the other side. But the truth is, many times we hear what we want to hear and nothing more. Like the man whose wife was getting hard of hearing, so he called her doctor to have her hearing checked. And the doctor said, that he couldn't see her for maybe a couple of weeks. But meanwhile, there's a simple and formal test that the husband could do to give the doctor some idea of the problem that she was having. So the doctor said, here's what I want you to do. You stand about 40 feet away from her and speak in a normal conversational tone and see if she hears you. If not, then, then move up to 30 feet and then 20 feet until you get a response. Well, that evening, his wife was in the kitchen cooking dinner and he's in the living room and he thought, I'm going to try this. He's about 40 feet away. He says, let's see what happens. Honey, what's for supper? No response. So he moves to the other end of the room about 30 feet away. Honey, what's for supper? No response. So he moves into the dining room about 20 feet away. Honey, what's for supper? No response. Onto the kitchen door about 10 feet away. Honey, what's for supper? Still no response. So he walks up right behind her and says, Honey, what's for supper? She turns around and says, For the fifth time I told you it's chicken. But isn't that the way it is sometimes in our lives? We're either deaf to really what is going on or we have selective hearing. We only want to hear what we want to hear. I heard them say this. I heard them say this. Yeah, we didn't hear the whole thing. We can do the same thing when it comes to God's Word. We hear the Lord telling us something through His Word, teaching us, and we only hear what we want to hear. Oh, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Maybe... James and John's mom, I heard Jesus say, many who are first shall be last. And from that point on, she's going, well, you know, either way, I want my my boys up there. Forget about this cross stuff he's talking about, the the resurrection. You know, she only, they only heard what they wanted to hear. So mama says, Jesus, you know, I'm a good Jewish mom. Let me talk to you a little bit, you know. And she says, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. What's Jesus' response? Look at verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we were able. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you think they would just pause for a moment, just just an instant? When Jesus says, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink? You'd think they'd say, well, okay, what's this cup exactly? Okay, what does that mean? Define cup before we answer. No, I mean, James and John and probably Mama is right there going, oh yeah, yeah, they, they can do that, they can do that, you know, no problem. Yeah, we'll drink of the cup. No idea what he was talking about. Now, of course, the cup of Christ was referring to was the cup of the wrath of God that he would drink as he hung there on the cross, taking upon himself the sin of the world. It's that same cup that Jesus spoke of in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat as, were, as it were great drops of blood and saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Even Jesus didn't want to drink of that cup, but he had to absorb the wrath of God on our behalf. But here the disciples are going, yeah, we want that. Yeah, yeah, we want it. That's amazing to me. What's more amazing is the other disciples' reaction. In, in verse 24, they were angry. It says there in verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Now, why were they displeased? Was it because of well, just such an insensitive question to ask? I don't think so. I think they were displeased because they didn't ask him first. These guys got in ahead in front of them. Oh no, now the, the left hand and the right hand at, at Christ's table are taken. I mean, I should have asked him first. We do know at one point, Scripture tells us that they were all arguing over who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Listen, we need to make sure ourselves, we aren't so busy creating what we think God's agenda is for our own lives, that we actually prevent Christ from leading us where He would have us to go. That we don't create in our lives a false hope of something that just is not the Lord's will. Oh, I know this is the Lord's will, I know it's the Lord's will, I know it's the Lord's will. No, it's not. Oh, I'm excited about getting the divorce. My life is going to be so much better. I have so much hope. No, getting divorced is not God's will for your life. And, and you do, and your life is more miserable than before. Be careful we don't create in our lives a, a, a false hope of something that just isn't the Lord's will. Look now what Jesus says to them in verse 23. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they did indeed. James was the first to be martyred uh, of the twelve. John was placed in a cauldron of boiling oil. And when he didn't boil, when he didn't die, he was sent to this island of Patmos in, in exile, left there to, to live out his life in isolation and loneliness. Jesus says, are you ready to pay the price to suffer and be baptized with what I am baptized with? And they indeed did drink of that cup of suffering. And they were baptized into his baptism. But now they're in the glory of the Lord. Now they're in the presence of the Lord. Listen, maybe God may call some of us to that same faith, but know that glory awaits on the other side. But here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't tell them no. He simply responds again in verse 23 by saying, But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Now we know in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, there's going to be those around Jesus' throne that will be there. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. So maybe twelve on one side, 
12 and the other. Who are these? We don't know. There's a lot of opinions about that. Some say that it'll be a representation of the 24 ranks of priests that are found in the Old Testament. Some say they're angelic beings. Some say they're the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It's possible. It's possible James and John will sit with Jesus there. Their request wasn't denied, just not answered. And sometimes that can be a little frustrating for us. Lord, I, I, I like this. Well, you know, not saying no, not saying this. Remember as a kid when mom would say, maybe. You know, it's like, oh, I hated that, you know. Again, verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Probably because, again, they're fighting over a position. I think we can do the same thing. Or fight what seat we're going to get. Or fight over the position in our company. Or fight over this and fight over that. And that's what they're doing. So Jesus doesn't tell them who's sitting on the right or the left. But rather he tells them, hey, listen, check your hearts. See, their hearts were in the wrong place. And so in these next few verses, Jesus gives some of the most powerful words ever spoken on this earth. Look at verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That phrase, lord over, there means to force into subjugation, to control, and the phrase exercise authority means to have full privilege. In other words, Jesus is saying the rulers of, of that age, you know, they're going to tell you what you can and can't do. And they're going to force you to do what they want you to do. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way we operate. That's not, it should be among you, period. Instead, Jesus says we're to be errand boys. We're to be bond servants. That's what a servant is, a, a slave. That's what it means here. We're to be the ones to try to figure out what someone else needs and then help them ourselves. And then Jesus gives a great example of this by what he says in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, Jesus is the supreme example of servant leadership. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, relinquished his privileges and gave his life as a selfless sacrifice in serving all, all of us, serving others. It's the ultimate example that we're to follow. Listen, the easiest way I know if you're to, to know if you're a servant is by how you react when you're treated like one. I think all too often, uh, I'm afraid my heart is, yes, Lord, I want to be a servant as long as people know and realize that I am serving. Or, yes, Lord, I want to be a slave as long as I become slave of the year. Listen, if you're gladly serving away, maybe in the nursery, in the children's ministry, or in the worship ministry, whatever ministry God's called you to do, and you're serving without being noticed or appreciated or thanked, then you truly have a servant's heart. But if you're complaining and moaning and griping to others about this or that, that's not a servant heart, servant's heart. Listen, the Lord doesn't want us to be slaves or servants because He likes to see us miserable. He's preparing us for the kingdom for the next billions and billions of years and he knows that the best exercise for strengthening our heart is stooping down and help pick someone else up. Others might not acknowledge what you're doing. You might not be rewarded presently. But when you move into that kingdom, when we move into that kingdom and Jesus looks at us, he's going to say, well done, the good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And you're going to be able to enter in with that large heart just full of, uh, of, of joy. 
Now this brings us to our, our third point, number three, an answer. Better titled, Answered Prayer. Look at verse 29 through 34. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now here's the thing. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's going to die on the cross there. His heart is heavy. He's just dropped this bombshell on his disciples that he's going to be mocked, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be crucified. He knew that the end was near. Yet he's going out of his way to show his disciples, listen, there's always hope that he's the author of life, that there's nothing too hard for him. He takes the time to stop and do a work in these men's lives. Listen, that, that's just a reminder to all of us that God is not too busy for you. You think that God has so much going on in the universe, and he does, but understand, you are his, his child, and he always has time to hear your prayer. You know, I, I study in my office at home, and, and uh, uh, my wife knows, and my, my kids know, you want to bring my granddaughter in anytime? You bet she can come in anytime. She can interrupt me anytime you want. I mean, I, she, she, my door is always open to her. And that's how God is for us. His door is always open to us, and he always hears our prayer. You know, David was the author of, of many uh, psalms, and one of the psalms is Psalm 8, and he's probably sitting out in the pastures one night just, taking in all the glory of God's creation, looking at the stars and, and looking at the moon. And he writes this in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. I mean, isn't that a good question? God, why would you care for us? Why would you care about us? Well, I don't know why, but man, he does. If it concerns you, it concerns him. If it's a burden to you, in effect, it's a burden to him in that he wants to resolve and deal with it. In fact, the Bible says the very numbers of, of hairs on your head are actually numbered, and he knows that number. Now, for some of us, it's a very low number, but, but he knows it. But Jesus, he's here on his way to Jericho. A whole crowd is now following along with him, and we read that these two blind men, they're sitting by the road, and that when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cry out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Now, verse 31, there's some in the crowd beginning to yell at them, telling them to be quiet. Silence, get out of the way. But they wouldn't be deterred. They, they wouldn't stop. They were persistent, and they began to yell even louder. In fact, the Greek word for cried out in verse 31 is krazo, a word that refers to the cry of a woman in childbirth. That kind of gives you an explanation of the way they're crying out. I mean, they start cranking up the volume a little bit. Jesus, Lord of David, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, Lord, Son of David. I know, just, just get louder and louder. They're screaming. And Jesus, he hears their cries. Again, this is a beautiful picture to me. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to die for you and, and me. And you'd think that, that that would be his focus. But he has the time to deal with the issues in our lives. He has the time. He hears someone cries, Son of David, have mercy. And he stops. He's still. 
Now, imagine what it was like for these two blind men. Perhaps they were born blind. They've never seen the blue sky. They've never seen the, the, seen the palm trees swaying there in Jericho. Never, you know, saw the brown hills of Moab, the bright colored garments uh, of those in the crowd, the green grass, the blue water. They were blind. Put them in a very poor condition as well. They, they, they weren't wealthy. So they're crying out in desperation and in the painful awareness of their condition. Here's what I find interesting, that in the Old Testament, we don't ever read of any blind people being healed. And in the New Testament, whenever we do read of blind people being healed, it's when Jesus heals them. With the possible exception of, of Ananias when, when he went out and laid his hands on Saul, who later became Paul, and he received his sight. Yet, the, the disciples never healed blind people. We never read of that. Only Jesus healed the blind. And listen, always in the Bible, healing the blind is an illustration or a picture of a spiritual healing. How at one time we were all spiritually blind and Jesus came and opened our eyes to the gospel. In fact, over in Luke's gospel, uh, we're told one of the blind man's name was Bartimaeus, which means son of the unclean. It's a picture of, of, of one who is born in sin and unclean and is blind and helpless. Now you would think that when a person sins, that they would, they would be aware of the fact that they're a sinner. But you know, many times the opposite happens. The more the person sins, the blinder they are to their sin and their true condition. Because that sin itself has a blinding effect upon our lives. There are some today that, that are, are blind with hatred and filled with hatred and they just can't see that they are. There are some today that are filled with greed and they're, they're blind to that greed. There are some today that are filled with bitterness or pride or anger or unforgiveness, but they're blind to their true condition. What a horrible thing it is to be blind to your sin and to your greed and to your anger and to your unforgiveness and not be aware that that's happening in your heart. But man, thank God when he opens our eyes and shows us, you know, that hatred, shows us those things in our life and we turn from that sin. David wrote this in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David prayed that. Lord, is there anything in my life that I cannot see that's potentially dangerous for me, that, that's going to hurt me in my walk with you? Let me see it. Show me. Open my eyes. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Jesus stops and he, and he hears the cry of these men and he heals them. He fulfills their hope. He answers their prayer. How can we have hope that our prayers will be answered? Well, let me give you three things about prayer if you're taking notes. Number one, you've got to pray. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty simple. If we want to have hope, we must be a praying people. And what these men did, it started with prayer. It's been said, if your knees are knocking, kneel on them. I, I like that. That's what we need to do when conflict comes our way. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Now, that's the objective of prayer. To get my uh, will alignment with God's will and to put me in touch with Him. So if you're facing a conflict this morning and you have a need right now, maybe it's a physical need. You need, you need to be touched by, by the Lord. You're not well. Maybe it's a spiritual need. You need His power. You need His help. You need His wisdom. Maybe it's a financial need. 
you got some unpaid bills or you, you, you don't know how you're going to deal with the situation. Maybe it's a mother need and you feel you have no hope. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked the Lord? Have you just maybe talked about it? You know, I mean, have you specifically said, Lord, here's the problem. Here's the need. I'm praying about it right now. We need to be praying all the time. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Do you know how many times Paul uses the word all in that verse? Pray with all prayer. Pray with, with all perseverance. With all the saints. Now Paul had to be from the south. Y'all need to be praying. Well, these guys prayed. And then number two, they prayed with passion and persistence. Have you ever prayed with passion and persistence? It's a story of a young boy in attending church in Kentucky, and he was a especially verbal and boisterous child, and he's being hurried out of the chapel. As, and as he was slung over his father's irate arm, no one in the congregation so much as raised an eyebrow to the young child captured everyone's attention by crying out in this charming southern accent, Y'all pray for me now! No doubt that was a passionate prayer. And we read here, they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So you say, well, I prayed about something. Did you? How many times? Well, twice. Yeah, I figured that was good enough. That covered it. Not these guys. They wouldn't give up. Jesus said in Luke 18, men ought always to pray and not faint. I think all too often we do the opposite, is that we faint and we don't pray. I'm tired. I give up. God is not hearing me. God is not answering me. But they were persistent in their prayers. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So they had their hope fulfilled. Jesus answered their prayer. They prayed, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. They prayed with passion and persistence. And notice verse 32 we read. So Jesus still stood and called them and then said, what do you want me to do for you? At this point, they might have said, well, Captain Obvious, we're blind. You know what we need. But you know, they needed to examine their hearts. Jesus doesn't take anything for granted. You know, they might have said, I heard you make bread appear out of nowhere. We're kind of hungry. Can you make us rich so we don't have to beg anymore? I mean, how would you like Jesus to say, you know, uh, what do you want me to do for you? Notice they don't ask for a new donkey. They don't ask for a new coat or new house to live in. They were blind. They knew they were blind and they knew exactly what they wanted God to do. They said to him in verse 33, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Again, remember, Jesus is on the way to the cross, which again amazes me that he took the time to stop and minister to these poor blind beggars and we just see a window into the Savior's heart. Let me say this, Jesus today is alive, he's doing this in a much greater capacity than things which he did on this earth, and he is instantly attentive to all our cries, even with millions of beggars around us all crying at him at once. And for just a moment this morning, I want you to realize that if you're hurting, if you're suffering, if you're in a need, if, if you're a sinner this morning and you know it and you cry out to God, he will hear your cry. He will hear you. He will forgive you of your sin. He, he will, I mean, that's His will for your life. Anytime you cry out in desperation and need to Jesus Christ, uh, He stops and He listens and He hears your cry and He will answer. And then number three about prayer, you need to understand that they prayed according to the will of God. They prayed according to the will of God. 
You know, uh, Jesus had asked the mother of James and John, what is it that you want me to do? And, and she said, that, can my boy sit next to you in the kingdom? And, and, and Jesus couldn't, you know, didn't answer them. Wasn't the will at that point. But he says to the blind men, what would you like me to do? And they said, Lord, we would just like to see. Lord, we just want, want, want our eyes. And notice that it says immediately they got their request. Why? Because they were asking that which God wanted to do. They were asking according to the will of God. They said, Lord, that we might see. And in verse 34 we read, So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. I love 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, and it says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Somehow we get the idea that when we pray, that, that prayer is for us to use to get God to do something that we want Him to do. That's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is that I might be aligned with God's will. That's why the Bible says we need to study and, and pray. It needs to go together. As I read God's Word, as I see God's Word will for my life, then I put that into my petitions that I ask. Oh Lord, I like that what I read. Lord, let that be a part of my life. E. Stanley Jones, a missionary to India, said this, If I'm on a boat and I throw out an anchor onto the shore, and I pull on the rope, do I pull the shore to me, or do I pull myself to the shore? You pull yourself to the shore. When I pray, I don't pray God, don't pull God to my will. I pull my will and I line it with God's will. That's true prayer. Yet how many times do we feel that God has let us down or that God has disappointed us or that God has unanswered us because He didn't give us the petitions that we asked for? I'll tell you this, I am so glad that, that for the many years that God, for the unanswered prayer in my life, the bad decisions I was about to make that God says, nope, that would be harmful for you, Tom, it's not going to happen. Lord, if someone would just give me a million dollar lottery ticket, Lord, I, I know it'd be God. Give half to the church, a problem, half to the church. No, Tom, it cause problems. You can't handle that, Tom. I heard the late uh, Billy Graham and his wife Ruth, Ruth once said, if God had answered her prayers when she was young, she would have married the wrong man several times. <laughs> That's the way things are. You know, we cry over what we don't have, not really that, that we would have cried twice as hard if God has given it to us. So my point is, this healing was God's will. And I believe if it's God's will, God can and still does heal those that need a physical healing. But we know this absolutely God's will to heal those that are spiritually blind. And if God has spoken to your heart about your sin, about your unforgiveness, about your bitterness, pride, hatred, some hidden sin, if you will cry out to Him, He'll forgive you. He'll heal you. He'll cleanse you. Think about this. What if these two men would have listened to the crowd and kept quiet? If they said, oh, we, we better not you know, bother Jesus. Jesus would have perhaps walked right by and they would have continued to sit there in their dark and blind condition state begging. What if the Lord, this, what if this morning you felt a cry out to the Lord to say, Lord, you know, I haven't been the husband that you've called me to be. Forgive me for my sin. Lord, forgive me for the way I've been talking to my wife or I haven't been the wife I should be or the parent I should be. Lord, you know the sinful bent of my heart and the things that I've been doing lately. I confess them to you. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me. What if you failed to call out to the Lord today? 
I mean, Jesus is here and he passes right by you and you're not healed. He doesn't touch your eyes and, and heal you. What a sad thing. Where's your hope for forgiveness and healing? This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for these blind men. Jesus would never pass that way again. The Bible says, now is accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You never know when you're going to have another opportunity to cry out to the Lord and to be healed and to find that forgiveness and cleansing. Four quick interesting things about their healing and then we're going to close. Number one, their healing was immediate. Now understand, salvation is not a process. Sanctification is, but not salvation. Salvation happens immediately. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're made alive spiritually, your eyes are open, you become a child of God. There's no degrees of, of salvation. You're not being saved. As far as your position in Christ, you're either alive in Christ or you're still dead in your trespasses and sin. So their, their, their healing was immediately. Number two, their healing was complete. And understand, our salvation is complete in Christ. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. Paul said you are complete in Christ. And that term is a nautical term, which means that, that it's in ship shape, ready to sail. In Christ, you've been forgiven. You're complete. Third thing we notice about their salvation is that their healing was through faith. Luke's Gospel tells us that, that these men, that Jesus said to these men, your faith has healed you. Yes, Jesus healed them, but, it, but he did it through their faith. See, faith is the hand that reaches out and receives the promises and the blessings of God. Your faith has healed you. Salvation is immediate. It's complete. It's, it's, it's thorough and it's through faith. And then fourthly, their healing changed their lives. Look at verse 34. It says, immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Don't forget that last part there. Yeah, yeah Jesus changed their life. Imagine what this was like for these two as Jesus asked them what they wanted. Oh, we want to see, Lord. And Jesus said, poof, okay, you're going to see. And immediately they, they, they saw. There was no surgery done. There's no bandages on their face. There's no glasses. You know, this will help you out a little bit. Boom, 2020 vision. Probably even better than 2020 vision. And all of a sudden they're seeing human beings for the first time. They're seeing the crowd of people gathered around them. And, and they're seeing the palm trees and the hills of Moab off in the distance. But the very first thing that they see is the face of Jesus. The very first thing that they see, the one who healed them. And now their lives will never be the same. They're following Jesus. They're loving Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're living for Jesus. And they're telling others about Jesus. You know, if Jesus has opened up your eyes, if He has healed you, if He has forgiven you of your sin, if He has restored your spiritual sight, then we ought to be bringing others to Christ. We ought to be telling others about Him. I love the story about another blind man that was healed and then he was brought to trial. And the leader said, well, you know, who made you whole? How is it that you received your sight? And at that point he said, well, I'm not sure who he was. All I know is I used to be blind, but now I see. All I know is this man named Jesus touched my eyes and now I can see. That's a simple testimony. Once I was blind, now I see. Following Jesus means that you just share him with others. Listen, folks, Jesus is coming back soon. And the darker it gets out there in this world, the brighter hope that we have that soon we'll be together with Him in glory. We are the ones that can see. We are the ones that know God's plan. And that should give us hope. So much hopelessness in our world today. May God grant us boldness to share our faith, to not back down, 
And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I want to close with this quote from one pastor comparing a person that's blind in receiving his sight to the day that you and I come into our Lord's presence. It says, There will come a time when for you and for me, the greatest of all sights will be when we awake from the dream men call life, when we put off the image of the earth and break the bonds of time and mortality, when the scales of time and sense have fallen from our eyes and the garment of corruption has been put off, and when this mortality has put on immortality and this corruption has put on incorruption and we awaken in the everlasting morning, that will be the sight that will stir us and hold us. What a joy to awaken heaven to see the face of Jesus as we come into His presence and everything becomes clear. I can't wait. And if you're here this morning and you're not born again and you, you don't have this hope, if you're here and, and you're not sure that you go to heaven when you die, you don't have to leave that way. Jesus Christ, He's stopping. He's here. He's, he's, he's listening to the cry of your heart. And if you say, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I want to turn from that. I want to follow you from this day forward. Jesus will forgive you of every single sin you've ever committed. And as you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of every sin you ever will commit. Because He loves you that much. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never perish but have everlasting life. Do you have that promise? Do you know that for sure in your life? If not, but you'd like to, as soon as service is over, we've got the elders that are up front in this church and, and would love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. The opportunity that we've all had to hear from your Holy Spirit through your word to touch our hearts. And Lord, there are things I know that have convicted my heart and touched my life that I realize I need to make some changes. And Lord, I pray that for all of us here, Lord, that we would be obedient, not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have that no matter how dark this world seems to be, Lord, you are our light. You are our hope. We have the promise of eternity with you. Lord, I pray for those that may need a physical healing here this morning. They need to be touched by you, Lord. Maybe it's a, a head or back or neck injuries or whatever it is, a cold, a disease. God, you are still here and you have the power to heal. We just need to ask. Son of David, heal us. Jesus, heal us. Lord, if there's anyone here needing a spiritual healing, even forgiven for bitterness or anger or greed or anything else in our lives that, Lord, we know should not be there, we cry out to you this morning. Forgive us, God. Heal us. Cleanse us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.